experiences from the weekend? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, President Benson has said, if you want to know what's going to happen in the, towards the Second Coming, read the Book of Mormon. <laughs> Particularly Helaman. And then run up there and you're going to see all of that. Um, one thing I thought I'd share with you, we've talked about it a little bit, but let me just kind of say it again. We had an interesting discussion in our, in our High Council meeting yesterday as we were discussing the church's new website. Um, the, uh, in the past, when it comes to uh, homosexual and gay issues, there have been two websites sitting out there uh, as resources for gay Mormons, in a sense. Um, on one side was one group that is very much saying this is a same-sex attraction, we need to stay within kind of church guidelines, and we're going to be a support and a help to one another, in a sense. There was another website that's still very... Uh, pro-church, but still believe well, the, if things could change for blacks in the priesthood, then it might change towards same-sex marriage. And, and so we just kind of need to continue to pray for that and be supportive of you know, the changes that are going to come. We're just going to wait, but they just are a little still out of date. They're coming. So these two websites have been sitting out there. Well, the church has countered that with the, uh, with, uh, the new website on same-sex attraction. And if you have not See that? Yeah, take a look at that. What at, is pardon me. If you just go to LDS.org, you'll see uh, right on the first front page. You'll see a quick one, uh, and and there are videos and discussions about it. But there is a there's a tremendous shift that has occurred in the think in the in, in what's being communicated outward. When I in the uh, 80s, when I was uh, at BYU and and uh, in school. <coughs> Part of what we understood about gay and homosexual thinking was basically the fact that anybody who is gay and having gay thoughts, number one, you can, find, you can go back to the root of that, and it was either some kind of abuse or a distant father, or uh, they fell in with the wrong group, or, or something like that. And so once they were immersed in that culture, then it was our job to help provide therapy, to help change that orientation, uh, and then get them to be married as quickly as possible, but that would then help cure in that process. And th therefore, anybody that was maintaining uh, gay and homosexual thought, same-sex attraction, was also subject to uh, church scrutiny. Wouldn't necessarily bring disciplinary action, but could if you continued to hang on to that way of thinking. Okay? Uh, the first paragraph in this new church website's Acknowledges the fact that some people are born with gay tendencies and same-sex attraction. That's massively that's seismic, and that certainly fits with what my experience has been clinically 
with, with uh, some folks that have had just what we described. Abuse, distant fathers, wrong group, and, and got plugged into that lifestyle. And then there's certainly been some that from day one have struggled with it and continues to be a battle. And somewhere in that mix, some are finding some healing in marrying, and some it's important that they probably not marry because that marriage would really struggle. And, okay? So, uh, this is, like I say, this is seismic. In, in, and then there's videos from Elder Oaks and some of the others saying, we want, you, we want you here. We don't want to lose you if you're having those experiences. That's why we're now seeing a, a gay BYU Students Association on campus recognized by the university. Uh, tremendous shift going on in, in that community. So, and, and I think like I've mentioned before, it's my own personal belief that we're watching President Monson's style. You know, we always think we can look at prophets and say they did these things and it's easy to see what President Hinckley's thrust was and President Benson's thrusting and all. I think this is President Monson that is a very quiet, subtle, inclusive uh, kind of thing. So, yeah. So, in a sense, are they kind of relating it to a bit of a disability? Yes. Yeah, in a sense, it's like saying these are the same way that somebody might have to struggle with multiple sclerosis or something like that. It's going to be that these these thoughts and feelings and stuff may be something that. The Lord may take at some point, in all likelihood it may be a battle for them the rest of their life. And there are going to be a lot of ways that they handle it, but that staying within the, the spirit of the church and the Holy Ghost and, and, the, and the fellowship and the love of the saints is what's needed more than anything. That's cool. Yeah, interesting to see. It will require a bit of a shift in the parts of a lot of members. So that, that's what I just want to, that's kind of, what I want to throw out there that we need to shift our way into <coughs> Comments on that? Yeah. Carolyn Pearson has had to deal with this in her yeah. life. And she has an awesome restoring love working with homosexuals. Yeah, Sister Sister Pearson has kind of struggled on both sides of this. Is this fair or not fair? But and she's written extensively about it. So. All right. Ready to move forward? Um, as we get going, oh, uh, this time of year, I also find it's interesting. We were just uh, with our family that was here for Thanksgiving, so we were trying to take pictures of everybody and squirrely grandkids and, and stuff like that. And then we start getting the, the Christmas pictures, the ones, you know, you try and... These are the, give you the pictures we send out to everybody. This is where we are at the moment. Uh, it's always interesting to... Uh, somebody's being good about uh, posting strange Christmas pictures. <laughs> I don't know whose idea this was. But it's pictures like this that will keep me in business for years. <laughs> I love his look versus mom's look. You know? She just 
blissfully taking a picture. Uh, the therapist in me could do one or the other. Anyway. Are these from the awkward family? Yeah, they are. <laughs> That's pretty current, isn't it? <laughs> and then sometimes you get these pictures where you know there is a story here that is dying to be told, and all you have is the picture. Okay? This is one of those. <laughs> just don't even know what to say about that one other than the fact that there is a story here. Santa ended up with a black eye. Probably a two-year-old that didn't want to be sitting on his lap, but it could be be more than that. (sighs) Okay. All right. With that said then, uh, as I looked over It's funny, as as I've been looking through these last sections as we were finishing up this semester, and so we were getting into 101, 102, 103, 104, 105, and 106, and I'm looking at these going, they're the same story. And the Lord is saying the same thing over and over and over, which should be the first red flag, right? If the Lord is taking precious space in revelatory Records to us, and he's saying the same thing over and over. Our response should be, "Pay attention." Just like, well, why does he keep repeating this stuff? Why is he repeating this stuff? Well, it becomes really critical. So, if he's repeating it, I thought I should too. So, I wanted to take some of the theme of what we were talking about last week and extend that into today to look at it a little bit more in depth. Um, so I hope you'll indulge me a little bit on this. Um, because there's an aspect of here that I think that we need to really kind of take a hard look at ourselves. Uh, now, can I, can I warn you right up front? It's always good if I say to you, uh, guilt coming. <laughs> it's like, it's coming, it's out there. It's like, there's a, you know, science says bump. You kind of brace yourself, bump. Okay, there it was. Okay, guilt coming. <laughs> Put on seatbelt, you know, so you won't be surprised when it, it happens. Because um, I, I read through some of this stuff that I'm going to share with you, and then uh, Cindy will tell you I started babbling at late at night, going, yeah, but I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and, and uh, took some of this personally, so I'm going to inflict it on you guys as well. If we take a look at the definitions, the things that the Lord is telling us about Zion. Now, we could look and say, this is Zion then, and there will be a Zion in the future sometime. But when we're talking about Zion specifically and why it's being repeated and why we're studying it, it's because of the Zion now. And specifically the Zion where? In In us. Zion begins in here before it begins out there. So to look at this, we have to say, where are we? First of all, Zion in our heart, and then Zion in our family, ward, current, to prepare us for the Zion coming. Does that make sense? Okay. 
So, as we're looking at this, always say, realize that this is as applicable as anything I know to what we do on a regular basis and what you will do this afternoon and what you will do tonight. Very, very applicable. Section 45, just a reminder, it shall be called New Jerusalem, a place of peace, right? A city of refuge, a place of safety for the saints of the Most High God. And every man, and I thought this was interesting, and talking about the future, but I I think also to a certain extent now. Every man that will not take his sword against his neighbor must needs flee unto Zion. Let me ask you something here. Um, we're, we're pretty proud in America, North America. We're pretty proud of our democracy, are we not? That we are a free and capitalistic society. What is there in capitalism that prepares us for Zion? Uh, nothing. <laughs> Other than the fact that it is, what is there in socialism, communism, fascism that prepares you for Zion? Uh, worse. <laughs> so in other words, capitalism is, is the best thing that we've got in the Constitution that supports it and protects it is the best thing we have. But does it, will it prepare us for Zion? Not really, because it's not Zion. But it is the thing that holds us in place and, and, and provides our freedom enough that the Zion, the church, can be supported and protected uh, to move that forward. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does teach us stewardship. To a certain extent it does. Except that it's also driven by that stewardship under capitalism is kept in check by greed on one side. That's what that's what holds us in there. But but we are starting to learn the stewardships and, and private enterprise. We're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah. I feel the work ethic is work ethic. Yes, because if you just take the Constitution, we talked about this the other day that. Natural laws provide for the fact that uh, it's going to give us the natural ability that God has granted us for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, But in terms of our financial economic system, not much. Okay, And that's where we're going to go. Yeah. Well, one thing that it does, though, is that it gives us the ability to choose Yes. Right. And that's what I say. It has protected our freedoms that allow us to begin to set up Zion and to begin to see it for what it is, unencumbered by government forces. So there's enough freedom to be able to do that. Great. Okay, now, so hold that in mind. Now, is it interesting, though, that in Zion, every man that will not take his sword against his neighbor must flee unto Zion? Oh, okay, I get that for the New Jerusalem. Does there a certain extent of that now? Is that a physical sword or a spiritual sword? With the sword, um, the armor of God, putting on the armor of God, and your sword is the word? Yeah, there it is. Okay. Does that make sense? It doesn't sound right having it against our neighbor, but it makes sense that uh, we share it with our neighbor. 
There it will be gathered, hold on to this, it will be gathered unto it out of every nation under heaven. Are we doing that? And then there's the promise in the future, but think about the now. And it shall be the only people that shall not be war at war one with another. I have friends that, talking about food storage, some say, well, I will defend it with a gun. Yeah. And others say, I would rather share it yeah. than kill. So to me, that's the battle. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, 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 it's, and that's not Zion, is it? And that, that's, that's where we're going to go. I, I love, uh, it is interesting to me, one thing that I did notice as I was, uh, as I was uh, driving, actually here, uh, on Sunday morning, I passed, there is a... Uh, I get, there's a, a church over here on Custer that I guess has become a little bit liberal. I guess it's become just a little pro-choice. Because the, their parking lot is on the other side of the street. And they have police that kind of guard the crosswalk. So that everybody kind of goes from the parking lot. And they walk across the crosswalk to get to the church. Well, as I'm driving past there yesterday morning... There were two massive placards on each side saying, uh, on one side, uh, quit sinning, come out of the darkness, uh, abortion kills, and then a big poster with chopped up babies. And and you just kind of, shh. But the people walking from one side of the street to get to the church had to walk right between those massive, and I'm talking like eight-foot, tall, gory pictures to get to the church. And you just watch these guys kind of at war with one another and just beating up on each other. And I wanted to pull over and say, I, I'm as pro-life as anybody, but guys, this is awful. You're not, I don't think you're changing many minds here. And making them more mad and more contention. Okay? But this Zion, whatever this Zion we're going to create, what do we already know about what Zion will be? Pure in heart. And in this case, it means what? Not at war one with another. Right? That will be a mark of Zion. We have have wards within this church that are not Zion. Because they're at war. Yes. We have families. <laughs> we have marriages that are not Zion. In other words, when we are at war and we are at contentiousness, we have left Zion. And that, that's, that's where I'm going. Yeah. So can you tell us the difference between having contention, being at war with each other, and standing on your principles and not being willing to compromise? Hold on to that. That's right where we're going. Section 101. Therefore, we talked about this before. Therefore, they must needs be chastened and tried even as Abraham. And we decided that that chastening for Abraham, who was righteous and the Lord already knew him. What was it that he was being tried? What was his chastening? That Abraham was being taught to learn about Abraham. The Lord knew him, but Abraham didn't know him. And, and so we have this process. So part of this is coming to know us, isn't it? Okay. 
For all those who will not endure chastening but deny me cannot be sanctified. And then you remember, here was the problem with the saints in Missouri. I say unto you, there were jarrings and contentions and envies and strifes and lustful and covetous desires among them. When we have jarrings and contentions and envies and strifes and lustful and covetous desires among them, we are not Zion. We, and the opposite of Zion is Babylon. That is the opposite world thing. And so, so what we're going to try and do is, is to take a look at, try and uh, define them, because when we hold on to these things, the Lord says we have polluted our inheritance. You've, been, you've inherited a gospel and a kingdom and a church and a, and a way of life that is divine in nature. And when we hold on to Babylon, when we bring Babylon in, and think about that's what pollution is. It takes something that's pure, and we go out and we get particulates from foreign sources, and we bring it in and we pollute it. That's when the salt loses its savor. We bring outside influences in. So our battle is always to try and get towards Zion, recognizing that at times we reach out to Babylon and we haul it in. And it pollutes our inheritance. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay, so here's the problem. We cannot see Zion. You're not going to be able to view it while we still search for Babylon. There's the struggle. So let, let's take a minute here. So to, to allay those that are going to, as, as we get. Close to the guilt stuff here. Let me just say, we all struggle with this, I think, on a regular basis. We all do, because we are still natural men and women, and we fight this all the time. We try and cast it off, and we think it's gone. And let's say that we have a good Sunday, and we went to church, and we're feeling spiritual, and we've had a wonderful spiritual experience with our family uh, sometimes. And then comes Monday morning. And we got to like climb out from underneath the bubble and go get blasted by the world for a while. Or we, we get done on Monday morning, send our kids off to seminary at which they have then beautiful spiritual experiences and they come away uh, incredibly fed and wide awake. <laughs> yeah, things like And then they go to school. And they're back to Babylon again. Babylon high. Uh-huh. Okay, so let, let's split this out. So I want so here's here's some things we can take a look at between Babylon and Zion. The Babylonian view is the natural man. And by the way, the natural man, think about uh, what we have in the Book of Mormon, some great verses for Babylon, or great advocates for Babylon, don't we? So one thing I loved about the Book of Mormon is the fact that they were very careful to write down the arguments of Korahor, for instance. So what is the Babylonian view of the world? Who gets ahead in this world? Lie, cheat, and steal. It's what? Lie, cheat, and steal. Lie, cheat, and steal. Absolutely. And that's okay because who gets ahead? Those who just 
Those that deserve it. It's survival of the fittest. It's the strongest, right? Me? Yes, ma'am. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was just going to say, man prospers by his own genius. It's his own genius. If you're stupid enough to struggle, <laughs> tough for you. That's survival of the fittest, man. i got to get what I can. Okay? Anybody go out on Black Friday? Early in the morning? There's only two cheap TVs out there. And they have a hand combat to get to that. The strongest one gets it, and the other one... Horrible to be you. Okay. In search of self-seeking... In other words, my goal in life is to take care of me. I want me to be me. I'm going to do things that are important for me, and if it's not best for me, then I'll, I'm going to leave it. That's why we have a whole generation of kids that have struggled in the mission field. You know what? Uh, this is harder than I thought. I think I Struggle. You know, and, and they're just... And, and they just have not, the, 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 this gen, the, each successive generation is like, this is being easier and easier. And if it's not going to be easy, then hey, it's just not for me. It doesn't happen just all my ambitions and my kids that go after the service just can't handle Yeah, yeah. He said mean things to me. <laughs> my, my sergeant was not nice. <laughs> He said no. He said no. <laughs> you know, everybody else in my everybody else in my sixth grade class has an iPhone. <laughs> I'm being dang it. It's because everybody on the second grade soccer team got a trophy. They did. <laughs> How come we don't get a trophy? They get a trophy. You were zero and twelve. I know, <laughs> but it's not fair because this is about me. I mean, we're just, we're just. Uh, I was talking with a, a couple the other day that uh, has been going to school and they're just finishing up graduate school and they have a number of, of kids now and it has been really so it's been a hard go for both of them to try and get through graduate school and Cindy and I remember doing that. But at the same time, he's going to school with kids that will not get, won't even think about getting married until after they have graduated from graduate school. They've been successful in their, whatever they're doing for about the next five or six or seven years. And then they will get married, at which point they will then uh, maybe have one child and two incomes, on which we will lavish two incomes on one kid who, if he decides to play uh, Little League, for instance, he will have every toy and advantage. You know, he will have two hundred dollar cleats because this is our one shot of having this kid. You know, there's a philosophy that says we need to do all of this kind of stuff. Not, and, and we're certainly immune to that in North Texas, right? <laughs> okay. And when we talk about all of this stuff, we have a name for all of this contention, and it's called enmity. Enmity is the word. And I know, and I would call it enmity. That's the word. 
and it doesn't have anything to do with snakes. <laughs> it might. Okay. So, and, and what it is, is this is, a, enmity is a not Zion concept. Now, <laughs> yeah, mornings are great, aren't they? <laughs> and this is probably Christmas morning too, so. Okay. Uh, there's a there's a wonderful book out. Usually I don't always recommend books, but this is a book that you ought to be thinking about. It's a brand new book by Catherine Thomas, who is a BYU professor, called Light in the Wilderness. Try and find it, because it is, is hopping off shelves as fast as it can go. Um, and, and I've always enjoyed her stuff, but she's written a particularly good book, especially on the subject of Zion. Uh, Light in the Wilderness, but you can kindle it, uh, not have to wait. Now, so here, here's what she said, okay? You ready on the guilt side? This time, what did you learn in Institute on Monday morning? Oh, I feel so much better. I feel so guilty. That's what we do. Few of us could say that our heart is free of enmity, even though we want to hide it from ourselves and downplay its extent and impact in our lives. It may surface in us while we're driving. Or at sporting events, or when someone disagrees with us, offends, criticizes, shows lack of respect for, or is abusive to us. Then we become not Zion, right? Under these conditions, we may manifest feelings of enmity in overt ways or in subtle ways. Through blaming, accusing, trying to control one another, subtle put-downs disguised as jokes, trivializing others' opinions or feelings or being. How are we doing so far? Awesome. Undermining, threatening, name-calling, forgetting things important to the other, ordering another around, an abusive anger. There's some squirming going on here. Amnity is contempt, manifested not only in words, but also in subtle facial expressions like eye-rolling or narrowing of eyes, cold silences, don't touch me, giving each other the look. <laughs> that look. <laughs> in fact, uh, she cites some research uh, to suggest that when we are on the receiving end of this in any way, shape, or form, no matter how subtle, that our, our heartbeat on average will go from 70 or 80 beats a minute to about 110 is what the researchers found. When we are giving it out, we, our own immune system, our own immune system is suppressed for a number of hours. In other words, when we are contemptuous of others, what happens is, is that we have then uh, caused ourselves to get sick and raise blood pressure and anger in other people. How's that? It's not Zion, is it? Let alone the spiritual aspects of it. 
And we battled it. Don't we battle this all the time? Okay, so now, Corey, let's come back to your question. What if they deserve it? I mean, what, where, as at one point, we're going to kind of stand for our stuff, and, and they're being mean and attacking. Don't, aren't we somewhat justified in cold silences or holding our line or whatever? What if they, what if they really are being mean or abusive? It is their problem, but it becomes our problem when we have to deal with it. So it's incumbent upon us. How do we deal with this? I, mean, I deal with this at least every day in my office. How, we, how is the Lord saying we're supposed Because if that means somebody has, is, is acting in a way that is very abusive, destructive, uh, hurt, hurtful to us, and if we're responding with enmity, we are just as a fault, are we not? So, how, so does that mean that we just then say, then I should be a doormat? I should let them just kind of do whatever they're going to do? Where's the line? How do we do that? You can always choose your response, and that's our responsibility. I think, though, in an abusive situation, you should learn to set boundaries. I will not tolerate this or that. Right. No. Can you do that? Can you do that in a Christ life? Can you do that in a Christ life? It's tricky. It's tricky. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm asking. How do you do that in a Christ-like, Zion-like way so that you're not pulled... If they're being Babylon, they're not pulling you into Babylon. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's what we're trying to get to. I heard a beautiful uh, technique, if I just throw it out, uh, so that someone shared with me at a, at a singles group on Saturday night that I was talking to. And I just thought, I told her I was going to steal it, lock, stock, and barrel, because I just thought it was too great. Um, she said that uh, from time to time where she works, there are people that are mean to her. Uh, and, and the way that she's learned to handle this is that she says, I have, I have ten temples on my speed dial. And what happens is when they're mean to me, I will start calling temples and putting their name on the prayer rolls. <laughs> it's one thing if I'm praying for them, it's another thing if the people in the temple are praying for them. And she says, I have three temple people and I have ten temple people. <laughs> and she says, I will just keep putting their names on the prayer roll until I feel better. <laughs> That's gold. <laughs> I love that because in the process of saying I want someone to be praying for them, I'm going to try and do it. I'm having a hard time myself. Maybe somebody else can pray for them that maybe is in a little better place than I am. Uh, that's awesome. Can we get the name? The name of this young lady. Uh, the lady that, that said that. Nah. No. Okay. She, she really is. She'll tell you. Okay. I have a client that um, 
she's not um, spiritual at all. I don't know she might be, but in her own way, but she's uh-huh. not part of any church. But she visualizes the person that's being mean to her. She visualizes them happy with their family and with a great job, and she visualizes them that way. Actually, one of the people that she really had a hard time with, he ended up moving, found like his dream job, his family became very happy, and they moved far away, so she didn't have to deal with them anymore. There we go. There we go. Uh, I have said uh, in, in, in this class, as well as to my clients, that I believe that if we're in a situation where somebody is being loud and angry and abusive to us, we don't do us any favors and we don't do them any favors if we stay in the middle of it. Those we should walk away. We can talk about that later. Because I generally found trying to talk to somebody who's really angry is like trying to talk to somebody who's drunk. Not a lot is heard. Nothing good happens. You've got to wait till they're sober. Or wait till they're calmer. Walk away. Walk away, walk away, walk away. Okay? Um... If the words or attitudes disempower, if what we say or do disempowers somebody, leaves them a little bit weaker, show disrespect or devalue the other, then they are abusive. And we are being driven by enmity. That's pretty powerful. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and we do it subtly. And that's why I had to take a look at even the way that, you know, in the way that I may treat. You know, if, I, if I'm going to sit around, if I'm going to renew my license and sit around the DMV... <laughs> And look around going, at least I'm not like them. I, I'm there. I've slid into Babylon without even trying. Somebody cuts me off in traffic, and I spend the next half hour fuming about them. I've slid into Babylon. And it is so easy to get pulled into here and pollute my inheritance. And, and my inheritance in this case is in my heart. Who I am. And this is, this is a battle. Now, you can say, I'm pretty good about it. Yeah, but what if, what if some kid that at school beats up your kid? What if some mother or teacher or somebody is mean to one of your children? Okay. We all have our spots that will, that will draw Babylon into our inheritance. Okay. All right. Comments on that? How are we doing? Yeah, okay. so, so, so can we at least just say, okay, we're all busted? Anybody have skated through this without being worried about any of this? See, isn't that great? Yeah. This would, I think this would be particularly hard of political discourse. Absolutely. Because of the feelings of what it stirs up in us, and then we're contemptuous, and then we are blaming, and then it's like, we got sucked in, and it happened that fast. I had a humbling experience this week in the doctor's office. We got talking politics, found out we were like-minded. He found out that he related to me that great school children, as he knew in the other state where he grew up, were praying for Romney. And these great school children, when he lost, they were really pretty desperate. Yeah. They prayed for him. Yeah. And you know what they did? The next day, the teacher suggested that they pray for Obama. And I went, Judy. <laughs> I didn't think of that. that was not yeah, like that. yeah. Grade school kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, see, that's why I say this is, what I want you to see is that we can be feeling pretty good about ourselves, but when we see how easy it is to allow Babylon to pollute us, how easy it is for the salt to be 
to lose its savor because of the particulates. It happens on an everyday basis. And, and that, that's why I think it's important that we kind of took a, a few minutes today. So, also, competition is hard too. Think there can be any football games in uh, Celestial Kingdom? Yeah, probably won't be on Sunday. Yeah. As opposed to the, the Zion view is going to be a divine self that's in search of joy instead of self-seeking. What we're after is happiness and peace. And unity. Enmity has a base to it. And, and that, that's one of the things I want you to walk away from with today. When we are feeling contemptuous or prideful towards anybody, at its base is that we are afraid of something. And if the faster we recognize what we're afraid of, the easier it will be to let it go. If somebody cuts me off in traffic, what am I afraid of? Being in an accident. If somebody's gonna if I'm gonna be on Black Friday and I'm fighting somebody for the for the one last, you know, 75 cent, 50 inch screen TV, and they get it, what am I afraid of? I won't get one. There's a there's a shortage of something and I'm not gonna get it. I'm afraid I'll go without. Enmity is always rooted in fear. Where the Zion view has roots in love and gratitude. We're just grateful for what we have. And for people in our lives and what they offer. Even though it may not like what we expect. Yeah. Yeah. In the Zion view then, as we, be, as we try to get towards Zion, we're going to be responsive, we're going to recognize people. I'll talk about that in just a second. In other words, we're going to be responsive to their needs. We recognize what their needs are. And we will constantly be remembering the kindness of others and forgiving of our own misdeeds. As opposed to in Babylon, instead of being responsive to others and inclusive, we are resistant. Okay? What do you do when someone's baptized into the war and they're just and they're not really socially smooth? And maybe they're struggling. And it's like, okay, I sustained them, but I'm not quite sure. Maybe they smell a little bit. And it's harder to be responsive to them and you want to kind of be just a little bit resistant. We can remember the offenses of others. I will always remember. And I'm really looking forward to that day when they get theirs. <laughs> I hope when they get to the other side, they fly. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing legal. <laughs> okay. 
Although the Babylonian view of things is that we must also replay our own misdeeds over and over and over and over in our head. Especially when we're about to be successful or take a risk. It will run like a never-ending loop in our head to beat ourselves up on a regular basis. Remember everything you ever did and how you did and how stupid that was. Because there's a pretty good chance you'll always repeat it because that's who you are. Therefore, you got to get what you can get whenever you can because as dumb as you are, you're lucky to get whatever you can get. <laughs> okay. Brother Warner, Terry Warner, another BYU professor, has said this in talking about being inclusive of people because we're talking about a Zion society then. We are constantly receiving signals from others that reveal something of their needs and hopes and fears. If we are not resistant to people and we're coming in contact with people, we're going to read... Don't we instinctively kind of read what they need or what they really want? And sisters, you are much better at this than we are as brethren. We're pretty... We have one line of thinking. You read facial cues, nonverbal cues, what was said, nuances in a conversation. Your brain has the massive, wonderful ability to take in much more information simultaneously and you know what somebody is really wanting and what they're really saying. And as, and as a therapist, I've had to, it's taken a lot of years to even start to begin to approach what you sisters do naturally. And I still miss a lot. I still go into diet. <laughs> We're constantly receiving signals. We are called upon by the other's unspoken requests expressed in their faces and gestures and voices to treat them with consideration and respect. To be a person in our family in Zion is to pick up from others such great, gently expressed imperatives as these. To learn to read what people's needs are. Now sometimes we read those needs, we understand it, and it's not in their best interest. I have a cat that I can read very, very well. And if I read the look in his eyes, it, it, it is, feed me big gobs of food morning, noon, and night. Constantly, till I pop, and we and and so we draw lines with our kids, and we make sometimes the best, most loving thing we can do for people is not necessarily give them what we want, but we need to be respectful of what it is that we want. Our humanity, our Zionness, consists of our ability to sense and respect and respond to the humanity of others. Lovingly, caringly, and that's why I say the most human thing you can do when somebody's being angry and abusive to, to you is walk away. You're not doing them any favors, you're not doing them any It does. It does. But to stay there and allow them to abuse you, again, is harming their spirit and the damage that's being done to you is, is horrible. 
The fundamental ingredient is an awakening of each individual to others and a willing effort to respond without any personal agenda in, any, in exactly the way that seems more right, considerate, and helpful. Is this tough? You're being asked to do something really hard here? This is hard. <laughs> the Zion way of thing is hard. That's why it is that the constant contact with the Spirit and Scriptures and following the prophets and obedience is to teach us our, the ability to do this. Okay, so how are we doing so far? <sighs> okay. We need one more quote from Catherine Thomas. And we'll just kind of put some ice on the table. Yeah? <laughs> What's that? Oh, uh, the, one, the, the quote from Terry Warner is called uh, Bonds That Make Us Free. And if you look at it on the, uh, on the website... So I've got the, uh, I think I've got the page number on to at least a chapter. <clears throat> unloving thoughts about ourselves, unloving thoughts about ourselves, unloving thoughts about ourselves. I was feeling good this morning, then I went to Institute, and Brother Hinkley dumped all this stuff on me. Now I feel like a piece of crap. <laughs> Unloving thoughts about ourselves and others cannot endure in eternity because they do not perceive things as they really are. They are not true. Do we really think we're going to sit to the celestial kingdom going, man, am I stupid? I am so fat. <laughs> You know, uh, uh, you know, I can't, I, I, I just can't sing as well as this person, or I'm just not as talented. Do we really think we're just going to sit and beat on ourselves in the, through the eternities? But say that again, we'll love. lately that'll say, yes, I will make it to the celestial kingdom, but I'll be a ministering angel. I still, okay, I might make it to the celestial kingdom, but I just don't think, you know, because I, you know, I hate my husband, or I just don't think I'll ever get married or something. So my goal is to finally get to be a ministering angel in the celestial kingdom, because somehow I've wiped out all ability to go to the, to the, the top of the celestial kingdom. I'm still a second-class saint, even in the celestial kingdom. Really? How much do we know about that lower division of the celestial kingdom? We're measuring it. How, how do we know the requirements to get there? Who's going to be there? And who? Nada. We know nothing. It's not even. There's nothing in seventy-six. Other than, there's a little line. Other than that. If we're saints and we're keeping the commandments, we're doing what we're supposed to do, there's nothing that says that we shouldn't be in the, in the top of the solicitation. Do you think that this includes those people who have made poor choices, who yeah. may now have perspective and they regret the choices that they made? I do. I mean, 
if we're talking about unloving thoughts about ourselves, maybe that's different from regret. I don't know. Well, I think even with regret, especially if we've repented and, and we've let go and the Lord has forgiven us, but, but in our head, part of what we continue to do is we let Zion or Babylon leak in is that we continue to replay those things over and over and over. So we take less, we, we don't put ourselves in the best positions. We don't believe that we're worthy for some callings. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't. Because we continue to beat up our, on ourselves. And it's a very Babylon way of doing things because we didn't compete well. So it's a matter of not having received the forgiveness that was offered. Yeah, and we're rejecting it in, in that way. Okay. Now, true, there are a lot of people that one of the reasons they do that is simply by genetics. If, they, if you're surrounded by uh, negative all the time that you're growing up, you have more of a tendency to kind of be negative going forward. And the beautiful thing about getting to the spirit world is some of these things are going to be washed away. And now we'll get for the first time to see who we really are. And at that moment, then that's the beautiful part about the millennium and the celestial world to cleanse all of these particulates out of us. So there's real, real hope here. Unloving thoughts about ourselves cannot endure in eternity. Uh, but loving, generous, merciful thoughts do belong to eternity. They're real. They will endure. Man sins against himself when he indulges in enmity because he was not created emotionally neutral. <laughs> we didn't come to this world already beating up on ourselves and ready to beat up on everybody else. How painful must it have been that there was a war in heaven? There was a war in heaven. Do you think that was a delightful thing on Heavenly Father's part to cast people out of heaven? His children. I think we have that same. I think he had the same reaction that Enoch described when he and the Savior were looking at the flood and those that wouldn't have repented. And it's and and uh, and Enoch goes, "Wow, this is really awful. How come you're crying?" And the Savior is saying, because these are my children, then it says, and all eternity wept. Because he loved them even in the middle of their struggles. And hated that that happened. We were not created emotionally neutral. But rather, each one of us has a deep divine need, both for inner harmony as well as a connectedness with other people. It's inborn in us. The Zionness in us came with us. We lived in a Zion society before we came to this earth. We recognize it. We feel it. We connect with it. It's, it's who we are. So what is the... Before you talk about walking away, yeah. there's some people who just you know, are caused so much problems. Right. Yeah. With this connectedness. How do you maintain that connectedness when there are some people who are just toxic to you? Who refuse who ref Yeah, how do you connect Zionists with people who are are really invested in being Babylonians? Right. Are we supposed to love them and be yes. connected to them? Yes. 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 
We are. And then when they are Babylonian back to us and are destructive, then it's also important to us that we do not, we don't have to continue, you know, if they're saying, well, you're stupid. No, you're stupid. No, you're stupider. No, you're dumb. You're dumber. A put, a put down and it's contemptuous, then I, then I think we do love them, but I think there are going to be certain times that we have to take a step back and just recognize it, I think in very gentle ways of saying that our feelings have been hurt, that that's not fair, that's not right. But all I know is that when we go, if you go into competition and contempt with a Babylonian, you just get sucked into their stuff. And and it will and you will it will lower you to their level. I have I worked with senior citizens for like five years, and uh, of all the ones I worked with, I probably worked with three or four hundred of different personalities. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there were several that were really it was it was hard. Yeah. But I found that in my own mind, when I was I mean I went through different stages. First of all, I was shocked, and I just kind of backed off. And the second stage was, I am so mad at them, I, I'm done with them. You know? Yeah, yeah. The next stage was, you know, they're kind of funny. And, and it's like a child that, you know, when the children get, your children get mad at you, you know, they'll say the silliest thing. But if an adult says those things to you, then you get offended. Yeah, you start to see but, them differently. But when I started seeing them as... Hopefully our Heavenly Father, just a glimpse of maybe how Heavenly Father saw it as a child. Yeah. Then I was able to love them. And then I was able to treat them with, with respect. And they knew I loved them. You, you know, my experience sometimes in working with, with senior citizens, if, if you see people that have been Babylonian all their life, and they're just filled with anger and contempt and contemptuousness, and everything, and then they kind of get old and alone, and they're in a nursing home or something like that. They're as prickly as anybody I can. You just can't approach them very well because they have a lifetime of anger and and pain, and they are the most miserable people. And I really feel sorry for them because that's what they—that's the end result. Both that's the fruits of that down the road. And then sometimes you see the most sweetest, beautiful people, and you see a lifetime of loving, peaceful connectedness. And you just see the end result in nursing homes. It's like the final step down the journey. So I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Okay. We got uh, 20 minutes. Okay. Let me add one more piece to Zion-ness. And it's, and it's one we're going to kind of come back to what we were talking about in the beginning. Uh, section 105. This is actually a revelation that was given to, to Zion's camp as they're on their way back. Zion's camp didn't work out so well. It became apparent to them that they weren't going to be able to redeem Zion. Uh, we've been through the reasons why that happened, didn't happen. So this is on the banks of the fishing river at a campsite. 105 was given. Uh, and and in all, to all appearances, everything looks like they failed. Uh, they, lost, they, they had 17 members of Science can't die because they were fighting among themselves and they started to die from uh, malaria. No, not malaria. Cholera. Joseph 
have told them, if you don't stop, they wouldn't stop, and they started to die. Uh, they didn't receive Zion. They, they actually left Zion. There were people in Zion, like Porter Rockwell, that were saying, just give us the word. We'll attack. <laughs> and he said, Zion will not be redeemed now. So try it. Start beginning to, to establish things in Clay County. Sorry, we're leaving. Here's the problem. Verse 3. But behold, they have not learned to be obedient to the things I have required of their hands. They are full of all manner of evil and do not impart of their substance as become a saint to the poor and afflicted among them. And they are not united according to the union required by the law of the celestial kingdom. They still were filled with enmity and they were trying to establish Zion and they were being not Zion. They were polluting their hearts and their families and they were polluting Zion in the process. And the Lord says, I, then I won't support you. I won't uphold you against your enemies because you're not Zion. And are not united. And Zion cannot be built unless it is by the principles of the law of the celestial kingdom. And you know what one of their major problems was? Whenever we have watched, and we've talked about this, whenever cities fall that are supposed to be full of saints, and they are run, they were overrun by enemies, in Jerusalem and Zarahemla and and uh, uh, look at a lot of cities, there, there are two things that they have always done. Consistently, count on it, that city's going away. And it is what? They will not take care of their poor and needy. They are not united, and they will not take care of their poor. The Lord will put up with a lot, but if you start uh, refusing to take care of the poor, that is a death sentence on your city. And that's what happened in Jackson County. And he's going to say... Um, back to verse 3. They are full of all manner of evil and did and do not impart of their substance as becometh saints to the poor and afflicted among them. Okay? Now, well, um, oh, I, I threw in a couple of things here. Um, <laughs> Let let me take a break here before I say... Okay, here's a question I've got. This is going to sound like it's like like a sociology question. Why are people poor? Why are there poor? We're supposed to be take... First of all, inside will there be poor? No, there's no poor inside. Okay, so why are there poor now? Okay, various reasons like? Choices. Okay. Handicaps. Handicaps. Sometimes <laughs> can be too lazy. Environment. Environment. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So could we boil down a big chunk of this to... A certain amount of people that are 
poor, and, I, and I'm going to say most people that are poor lack knowledge and understanding. If they knew different things, would they be poor? They might. They might choose. But in most cases, people would rather not be poor. And if they just knew some things about themselves differently, or they knew they had different skills and ability to be able to take care of themselves differently, or they understood the world differently, or they understood the link between uh, consequences and their actions, or they understood the effect of substance abuse, or they understood a lot of things. When I start boiling it down, I look at the fact that people are poor mostly because of lack of knowledge, lack of understanding of something about themselves, the world. Does that make sense? Now, there is another group. We talk about circumstances. There are another group that are poor because of illness, circumstances that even with their knowledge, they still were not able to sick and afflicted. All the knowledge in the world, you've got cancer and can't work, that might make you poor. Right? So that's one chunk. But most of the time we're talking about people are poor because of lack of knowledge. Okay? Now, let me... Let me throw one other concept out. I know I'm, I'm hitting you with a lot, and we're kind of doing it all, all at once. When we talk about um, the bishop's storehouse, what are we referring to? Where's the bishop's storehouse? It's in Carrollton. The bishop's storehouse is where the canned goods are held, and the grain sits, and the, and the meat's in the freezer. That is the bishop's storehouse. The scriptures refer to the Lord's storehouse, which is different. Anybody want to venture a guess as to what the Lord's storehouse is? It's us. In what way? We're a storehouse of? Resources. And? Talents. And? Knowledge. Knowledge. Skills. Skills. Time. Time. I, I, think, I think about when we, uh, when we went down and helped in New Orleans. And it's like suddenly the strength of the Lord's house was to say, let's pack up everything, time, talents, resources, and we're going to pack up, we're going to go down in mass and help provide, because it wasn't about knowledge, it was about the fact that this circumstance had happened, beyond anybody's capacity to understand the size and how this could actually happen. Amazing just how broad it was, but that we drew on the resources of the Lord's storehouse to go and do something that people couldn't do for themselves. And that's what the Lord's storehouse is. It's drawing on the resources of, of Zion to help with people that don't have, can't take care of themselves. And specifically, if we're talking about, again, why are they poor? Lack of knowledge. What do we have in the Lord's storehouse? Knowledge. knowledge. Understanding. Resources. That's why when we talk about being inside of people, we have to be responsive to their needs. Yeah. There was an article in the Inside a few years back about uh, inner city branches and about how the, the people in the inner cities, when they would join the church, that uh, as they began to realize who they were, that yeah. they, were, they were children of God, and that <clears throat> he had 
Right. They would, they would do something with themselves. Their knowledge was... Uh, they start to lift themselves above their circumstances and then, yeah, I guess true. And isn't that the beauty of Paul's teaching and his teaching? He learned on a very small scale how to do that, provide those services individually to one or two or three people. Yeah. And then over the years, we can build on that service. Okay, so let, let, let's take this idea now. Let's come back to something that, that we said earlier. Because I, I, I was in a discussion not too long ago in a high priest group where we had this discussion. So we're supposed to put together our food storage. And all of our food storage together, and I'm going to have the weapons to defend it. Okay? Now, in a Zion society, if, we're, if everything we just talked about, what does the Lord intend us to do with our resources? Share. Yeah, but what if some people have been like lazy bugs and they're just going to sit around and expect that from me when the time comes? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of where we're going here. Now. Yeah. Is it backwards to think then that the Lord allows there to be poor so that we have an opportunity to serve? <clears throat> Is that backwards? Why say that again a little louder? Is it, does the Lord allow there to be poor and strife and houses burning down and so forth to allow us an opportunity to be something? To, to serve and find out where we are. Yeah. And I heard, I heard a comment, that's what I'm just I'm thinking about in this Sunday school class that I had gone to, that it is necessary for there to be a binding between those that are disadvantaged or those that need help and those that are And, and this is that moment where if we are Zion and we're trying to move our hearts to be more Zion-like and recognize our, our part of the, of the Lord's storehouse, then we have more of an ability and a willingness to share what we have regardless of what, whether we think they deserve it or not. Our ability to then reach out and say, it's not my job, it's simply my job to be responsive to needs and to, and to supply and if I'm in that heart place, I can do that. I can share. I can help. I've always thought that part of the council to get out of debt, and it's just a part of you know meeting the need. I just think um, that is yes. a great byproduct of getting out of debt. Then we're not worried about ourselves. We can then go out. We can then help so, where absolutely, and debt binds us. Yep. Debt binds part of our efforts, part of our resources. And, and, and in essence, and, and we're going to, uh, the church struggled with this, you know, getting, them, getting ourselves out of debt so that we were not beholden to Babylon. That the church would stand for independent of all others and the ability to reach out and serve in Yeah, particularly if you just think about, for instance, how much how much of the world's the world church does North America North North American Zionists take care of the ability to build buildings and take care of things because of the wealth that has been deposited in North America. 
to reach out to the rest of the world and help that. We could, uh, we could spend a long time going through that, okay? All right. One, one last thing I want to throw at you. And I know I'm just fire hose time. I get it. I'm sorry. But, but there's a lot here. And, and, and again, I was trying to explain to somebody the other day. They're saying, so what, we, what do you do in Institute? How is that different? I said, try and do this in a 40-minute gospel doctrine class when the high priest or the high council ran over. And you got 30 minutes. And we have a chance to go for an hour and a half, and if we want to break it down, have three hours. It's just like nirvana. <laughs> How great is this? Okay. I want, I want to throw an idea at you here, too. They do not impart their substance as become a saints to the poor and afflicted among them. Now, it's Christmas time. I want to quote from what President Uthdorf said the other night in the, first pre- in the devotional. As we get older, our ability to receive gifts with the same enthusiasm and grace seems to diminish. Sometimes people even get to the point where they can't receive a gift, for that matter, even a compliment without embarrassment or feelings or indebtedness. Feelings of indebtedness. They mistakenly think the only acceptable way to respond to receiving a gift is by giving back something of even greater value. It's a pride thing. I have to keep myself above. Only simply, Others simply fail to see the significance of a gift, focusing only on its outward appearance or its value or ignoring the deep meaning it has to the sincere giver. We hate to ask for help. Don't we? What if somebody's offering us a gift? Or they want to help us? It is a very Zion-like thing to accept the help. It is a very Babylonian thing to do. To be so dang independent, nobody ever is going to help you, and if they give you something, you've got to trump their thing with something a little bit better that keeps you in a higher position, because I have my pride, dang it. And I think we struggle in the church sometimes to accept help, accept loving guidance, accept things from other people. Why is that so hard? And that's the feeling, isn't it? If they're going to do something for me, then I'm going to be indebted to them. Now I owe them. That's called capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) That's my point. Yes. It's a humbling feeling to accept help. It is a very humbling feeling. But isn't it interesting that when you're in a position not to help yourself, and somebody comes along and helps, then there is a sense of gratitude. I will never forget, I was watching the other night the BYU-Utah basketball game, you know, and, and I remember very clearly one night uh, going to visit some friends. We were in Provo, and, and we were watching on TV the BYU-Utah football game, and I, and I don't remember who won. Uh, but it was a, we had a great time and everything, and then Cindy and I got in the car, and we're driving back home, and on... And, and off to the side of the, we end up on the opposite side of the wall because we had a blowout. And 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 
didn't have the ability to fix the car. I think we're missing tire jackers. I think that's what it was. Anyway, we couldn't repair it. And I was trying to figure out what to do. And I just sat there, and, and, and we were right between two exits, and I knew it was going to be a long walk. And just a minute or two later, I see a car signal and pull over and pull right in behind us. And, and offer to help and provided to help. And it was only later that I saw his University of Utah sticker on his You know, and I just spent the last three hours having all kinds of unkind feelings towards Utah. <laughs> but, but, but I was so grateful to him and for that and that effort because it, it got us out of a jam that we couldn't do on our what if you love help from others, but you feel like you're becoming a burden to them? Ooh, I love being helped by others, but I'm afraid I'm going to become a burden. That's fear of. Yeah, you got it. Okay, okay. It's, it's an entity thing. It's a pride thing. If you think about it, when you receive a prophecy to help someone, yeah, that's from the Lord. And so if someone receives a prompting to help you, guess where that's from? That's from the Lord. <laughs> Are you going to tell the Lord, no, I'm okay. I know I ask for blessings, but I don't want this yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> if the giver give it again. So it's, it's, when we, when my when wife and I receive a gift from someone, and she'll maybe sometimes say, oh, wait, wait, we don't, I say, how do we know that the Lord just didn't come to do that? Yeah, and that's why I think part of our part of our obligation as Zionists, if you will, is to accept help offered. Yeah. I have a child with a disability who's often had very prestigious people call to be his teacher, and it's been hard for me because I thought this guy could be a bishop or a state president, and he's kind of a history child at church. And the thought has come back over and over that we don't understand our worth. No, and that, and I think that's part of how we know where we are. If we're in a humble enough place that somebody is going to give us a gift, and we're and we're grateful and we accept it, and then we get to be grateful to them and remember those kindnesses, I think that's part of what draws us together. Does that make sense? Okay, uh, l- last quote before, and then we're done. Um, I want to I want to finish with this quote from um, Joseph Smith. In talking about Zion, the blessings of the Most High will rest upon our tabernacles, thinking about the future and what's coming. And as you talk about what's coming, think about what we could do now. The blessings of the Most High will rest upon our tabernacles, and our name will be handed down to future ages. Our children will rise up and call us blessed, and generations yet unborn. Now, as I was reading this, I was also thinking about the saints. Uh, in in Nauvoo and handcarts and all of those kind of things I think is true, but some of this will apply to us. Um, generations yet unborn will dwell with particular peculiar delight upon the scenes that we have passed through, the privations that we have endured, the untiring zeal that we have manifested, 
the all but insurmountable difficulties that we have overcome in laying the foundations of a work which brought about the glory and blessing which they will, re which they will realize. Think about those of you who struggle as young parents and the, and the privations that you go through and the struggles that you have. That your future generations will look back and go, wow, mom, you did a lot. And you, and you managed to do everything that you did. Laying the foundations of a work that brought about the glory and blessings which they will realize. A work which God and angels have contemplated with delight. And generations past that fired the souls of the ancient patriarchs and prophets. A work that is destined to bring about the destruction of the powers of darkness. The renovation of the earth. The glory of God and the salvation of the human family. That's what we're about. If we catch that vision, we change our hearts to match the vision of this church and this gospel and where we're going into the future. And future generations will rise up and call us blessed because we did it. And it may seem like a minor thing to fight off feelings of enmity towards others, but it's part of preparing ourselves to be in a place to serve and love and to be served and to become saints. And I pray that we can do that, especially this holiday season. And I leave that with you, Jesus.